Assalamu alaikum, Salim here from the Imanwar podcast. The topic of this episode is a topic that we've discussed multiple times in the past, and that's the topic of activism and fighting social injustice. But certainly, given the time and circumstances that we find ourselves in today, especially in America, it's certainly a topic that's worth revisiting. So in this episode, we're going to replay a conversation between our Istanbul host, Maltasam Antia, and Imam Dawood Walid, who is the author of a book entitled Towards Sacred Activism. And in this episode, they'll discuss what sacred activism is, talk about some of the issues related to activism and fighting social injustice, and also discuss some of the pertinent matters related to the Black Lives Matter movement. We hope you find this episode beneficial, and we'll see you next time. Assalamu alaikum, peace be unto you. I pray that you are all well. I want to thank you all for joining us for Al-Medina Institute Live's presentation today on sacred activism. My name is Ma'atasam Atiyah. I'm going to be your host today, and I am broadcasting from the Al-Medina studios in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, yes, for all those that have asked me so many times, may Allah bless you, what is it like to live in Istanbul? It is, by Allah's rahmah, a beautiful, beautiful place to live. Uh, hearing the adhan five times a day uh, has an immense impact, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fill all of our hearts, my hearts, and your heart with the call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, today we have a special guest, a special, special person, Imam Dawood Walid. Assalamu alaikum, Imam Dawood. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Nice to see you. I think the last time that we were together was actually in Istanbul, wasn't it? Yeah, I was in Dhul Hijjah uh, last year during Coastal um, uh, Hajj season, and I was in Istanbul and we met up and Alhamdulillah, we went to Matam Hadramaut and had a chance to make salah together and have fellowship with some of the other uh, brothers who are there studying with the Sohba Fellowship. Alhamdulillah, it was a beautiful time. Alhamdulillah. It's always beautiful having you, always beautiful seeing you and being with you today. For those of you that don't know Imam Dawood, he's the Executive Director of uh, CARE Michigan, uh, but that's only a part of who Imam Dawood is. Uh, for myself, who's gotten to know him as a brother, Imam Dawood is a deeply spiritual person. He's a deeply wise individual that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed the Ummah of North America in having. We ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses him, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses his family. And really, Imam Dawood, before we even start this conversation, I just want to say Jazakumullah anna kul khair, barakallahu feek on behalf of everyone in North America for doing what you do. Uh, I know it's not easy. I know it's probably very stressful and very difficult at times. So just know that you're in our dua and everyone that's watching, please make dua for Imam Dawood. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him resolve. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases him in love of Allah and in love of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa ala And he gives that to his spouse and to his children. Put your hands up, say, Ameen. Ameen, Ya Allah. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Now we can start. Imam Dawood, today's conversation is on sacred activism. And you wrote a book called, called Towards Sacred Activism. Why did you write this book? What was the impetus behind it? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alamin. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad al-Fatli ma ughliqa wa khatli ma sabaqa nasab al-haq bil-haq wa hadi ila siratika mustaqim wa ala alihi haqqan qadim qadar al-azim wa la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-azim. Firstly, let me say uh, Sidi Muqtasim and to the uh, Al-Medina family, it's, um, it's truly a pleasure to be here with you and through this platform to be involved in this uh, conversation and also in regards to uh, the book that I wrote in which our, our, our beloved 
uh, teacher and imam, uh, Sheikh Zaid Shakar Hafidullah wrote the introduction and also our beloved sister, uh, Ustad Alina Safi, I wrote the foreword that the book was actually published through uh, El Medina Institute. Um, that really what prompted me to write the book, I need to go back in time almost a decade ago, uh, because I think that will set kind of the framework from where I'm coming from. <clears throat> and I think that in general, anytime that we read a, an original work from any author, that we need to try to gauge uh, not only the background of that author, but also the time frame in which uh, they wrote that book. And that's for uh, anyone and, and, and scholars and people who are um, much more prolific than myself that we need to read books inside of the time frame of the author and the circumstances. So about a decade ago, I was part of a, uh, a fellowship through a major university. I'm not gonna mention uh, the exact fellowship, but I was engaged in it. And there were uh, a number of Muslims who were involved in it. Uh, some of them who had um, religious studies background and some of them who were more coming from a, a legal angle or perspective that were part of the fellowship through this major university. And what I saw was a, uh, a decentering of religious values and the decentering of spiritual um, of spirituality in regards to analyzing some of the societal problems that people face in general, including uh, American Muslims uh, faced at that time. And uh, what I saw was really troubling me as far as uh, Muslims taking considerations about actually propagating and celebrating certain things that uh, aren't even would be considered makru or highly despicable according to sacred law, but even things that are clearly haram and those things in which Allah has attached uh, adab to, even in the Quran, you know, of punishment uh, in the akhirah. And so um, I began to see after this a, a trend, or we could say, uh, a greater issue of Muslims being involved in politics and activism of slowly going down this road of centering less our tradition, centering less those things that our teachers have always taught us that have SNE, that have chains of transmission going back uh, to our, our pious predecessors and more <clears throat> dunyawi or we could say uh, worldly considerations. Uh, so that is kind of the background that prompted me to write the book uh, towards sacred activism. You know, Imam Demu, you, you bring up some really interesting points already in what you said about sort of uh, the, the situation that caused you to write that book. And, you know, if we look at Muslims in America, uh, and, and, and this is a very challenging conversation to have because, you know, the, the, the Muslim community in the United States is very diverse. So when we're talking about, we're talking about the black Muslim community, we're talking about the immigrant Muslim community, we're talking about the native white converts. But if we look at least in the past 19 or 20 years, there's been a lot of pressure that at least the migrant, the immigrant community has been feeling since 9-11. This, this pressure to fit in. And so, you know, what do you say to those that have given up the, the spiritual essence, the moral fabric of who we are as a community 
for the hopes of lessening some of that pressure that they have on them? Well, you know, uh, being, being a Muslim, um, you know, Allah Azawajal never promised us as Muslims uh, middle-class respectability or worldly comfort. And if we just were to do some slight uh, contemplation uh, on reading the Quran and reading the Qasas al-Anbiya or the stories of, of Allah's chosen elected prophets, you'll see that all of them, as well as their, their followers, their companions and disciples, went through struggles and, in fact, were actually maligned by the dominant culture or the status quo, right? Yet those who were successful uh, held on to their sacred values. They held on to their transcendent principles uh, despite those. So I had to start with that from the very beginning that, um, you know, as us uh, declaring la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, that we really have to understand what we've signed up for, right? right? <laughs> what, what, and, 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 and also, but I would, I would also say this, that uh, in regards to what you were saying, uh, Sidi Mu'tasim, is that it is true that the American Muslim community came under a lot of pressure after 9-11. And there's no denying that with increasing of hate crimes, with uh, issues of uh, surveillance policies, and the rise of what some call the Islamophobia network, where you had uh, evangelicals like Pat Robertson to other cable news companies that were maligning uh, the community uh, congressional hearings, such as Peter King, which were like modern day McCarthyism type hearings. So there's no doubt about that. We don't, <clears throat> we don't dismiss that uh, whatsoever. But I think that the question becomes and the challenge for us as we are moving forward is that um, do we as American Muslims operate from the position of fear of motivating our, our, our politics? or motivating our, our activism, right? So we are now caught up in a, in a conundrum, if I could use uh, that term, and perhaps there's a better term to use, but uh, because of this overt um, rhetorical uh, Islamophobia that came from the right, many Muslims ran to the left because right. the people on the left claimed to be the people of pluralism and diversity and inclusion, <clears throat> right? So we left the right and people who are openly uh, saying things against Muslims as a non-white group in their race politics in America and moved to the left. But in reality, we have to be a little more balanced and look at, look at this and how we position ourselves because one group uh, loathes Muslims. Right. Another group says they embrace Muslims, but in fact, loathe our sacred law. They loathe a lot of our Islamic morality, and they want us to give that up in order to so-called to get their protection, right? So it leads us in, in, a, in, a, in a slippery uh, slope where uh, we've gone for the sake of political expe expediency, I believe, we have uh, embraced a type of paradigm that has led to the unraveling of the uh, of the American Jewish community as a religious group, right. because Jewish Americans have gotten all this political cl uh, clout and power 
but at what expense? The majority of Jewish Americans don't even believe in God or don't even believe in the Torah or the Talmud or organized religion. So I am concerned, and, I'm, and this is part of also going back to the impetus of me writing uh, towards secret activism, is I had this concern that what are we going to be in a couple of generations on the trajectory that we're going? Are we, are we just going to hold on to being Muslim as some sort of quasi-ethnic socio-political identity and end up losing the, the ruh, losing the essence of, 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 our, of our creed and our, um, and our sacred law in the process? Which is, you know, Imam Dawood, it's, it's a really scary, isn't it? I mean, because you've seen within the community doing the work that you're doing and myself being involved in the work that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed me in, where you see that slow shift and it's a very, it's a very subtle shift. Uh, but it happens over the years and then you find yourself suddenly in a place and you're like, how did I get here and where am I? And so, you know, ultimately, and, and as we're getting into this conversation, you know, ultimately it seems like what you're getting at I mean, why sacred activism? I mean, why even sacred? Because that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us for. If I'm willing to trade my principles, my spiritual principles of who I am to be accepted by the society around me, then I'm going to fall down this slope and I'm going to fall very hard. So, I mean, in, in, in that case, Imam Dawood, where are we now? You're involved in the community. We have right now a lot of, a lot of um, well-meaning individuals who are seeing the oppression that's been happening to the black community in the United States. Let's, let's bring it to, to where we're, we're dealing with currently in the United States. We're seeing, you know, some of our politics almost trying to push or directly pushing towards almost a race confrontation, you know, uh, happening in the States. And you have well-meaning Muslims that just want to do good. And, and they want to help someone that's oppressed. And they're hearing about organizations like Black Lives Matter, and saying, well, I'm going to go all in. Uh, educate us on this, Imam Dawood. Yeah, alhamdulillah. What, what we've seen in America, I'd say in maybe the past month and a half, half has been something different than what most of us have seen before. And that with the, uh, the savage murder of George Floyd in particular, uh, really aroused uh, something in the American, collective American psyche that hasn't been aroused, at least that I've seen in, in my lifetime, where people went out into the streets and were protesting and asking for <clears throat> justice, not only of George Floyd, but for uh, systemic reform regarding uh, America's policing, which has then caused, which has then also spurred on uh, more discussions about uh, anti-black uh, racism in America, and uh, which is based in the false ideology of white supremacy, right? And, and, and sorry to cut you off. People are out in the streets, even here in Istanbul, when that happened to Imam Dawood. I mean, it's really incredible. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, and I saw that people were in the streets of of, of Istanbul. Uh, people were uh, painting murals of it in 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 in, in Syria with all of the with all of the, the the issues and the problems that our Syrian people, our Syrian brothers and sisters, have faced. Allahumma so ikhwana fi Syria. With all the issues, even they were showing uh, empathy towards George Floyd and what's been going on to Black folks in America. So it's a it, it's it's definitely a a, a big deal. Um, in saying that. Uh, we as Muslims, we have to be 
more discerning, I believe, about what's going on in social movements. And yes, we want to be involved and help within the American society, but it should be on our terms according to what is sacred to us, which means the Quran, which means the Sunnatul Nabawiyah, and then after those, those things that are the consensus of what uh, of what our scholars of our tradition have always agreed upon in terms of Islamic morality, right? Those should be the basis because that which is sacred just doesn't shift by the winds of emotion. That which is sacred is not just set up for public opinion polls. That which is sacred, that is harma, comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is conveyed to him through his holy book and off the tongue of his beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Right, so we need to have a, a framework in regards to how we approach these things. So when we're talking about this, um, we, we look at, and of course, us being just on an individual level and us standing for justice, this is a Quranic uh, mandate. We know that Allah said in the Quran, Ya amanu, Right, so Allah says in this ayah, all those who believe, stand up and be servants, lillah, for the sake of Allah, witnesses bilqis, witnesses for equity and witnesses for justice, right? So when we're talking about this issue of what's going on in the streets, no matter what we do, we, we should try to focus first that who, what is our goal? And ultimately our goal is Allah, right? He's ultimately our goal, right? He should be our goal. Now, and if Allah is actually our goal, ilahi enta maqsudi wa ridaka matlubi, right? If, if, if he's our goal, then secondary in relationship to him, him, him being our primary goal, it is justice. And striving for Allah is also striving for justice. But when we're striving uh, for the pleasure of Allah, if our desire is for Allah, then the objective has to also coincide with what we strive or what we believe to be was pleasing to Allah, number one. And then number two, also, not just the goal, but the means, what means are we using in regards to meet this sacred objective, right? So that means that we may agree with other people in regards to a broader goal. Some of the particulars, we may agree. Some of the particulars, we may disagree, but our engagement should be, not on, our, should be on our terms and not just on the terms or the objectives of other people uh, who don't believe in our sacred values and principles. And I would also say with, um, with, 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 in the most kind way that I can say it to my brothers and sisters in Islam who are watching this right now, who are not African-American. And this is, I'm saying this with all the love that I have for you. And Allah knows the reality of this is that, it is better adab for you to consult 
with your African-American brothers and sisters in Islam who are grounded in our secret tradition about how to move forward, rather than jump over us to go to Black Lives Matter, who are a, a, a group of, uh, of, of, of Black people who were started that, who, by the way, the, the, the organization movement uh, is not primarily funded by Black people. It seed money didn't come from Black people. But that's perhaps another discussion. But it's, it's not proper to jump over your brothers and sisters in Islam who are African-American, who hold on to this tradition, to jump over to people who, and, and, and to be in so-called solidarity with them who uh, don't have wala with us. Right. And, and, and they don't hold on to those same sacred principles and, and values. So please don't jump over your own brothers and sisters in Islam who hold this tradition to be sacred to jump over I mean, to, to go to people who have profane sensibilities. And Imam Dawood, I mean, you're touching on so much uh, that I think is so important. And I think that, number one, you know, basically you're saying there has to be a hiya of the ulum al-din. <laughs> that, that wow. we have to realize why are like why am I on earth? What am I doing here? It's like you said, am I am I here just because I want to experience a level of convenience and have a middle class life that allows me to get under, you know, go fly by under the radar and just ensure I have that life and I'm willing to pick off any aspects of my religion in pursuit of worldly happiness, or am I here as a true servant to Allah? and a follower of his messenger and I'm willing to stand strong to those principles and those foundational notions. And I think, you know, we're, we're going to find by and large that if you were to poll the Muslim community, they're going to say, of course, I love God mm -hmm. and I love his messenger. Right. Uh, but uh, man, you know, how do I, how do I deal with all this? And in, in terms of Imam Dawood speaking to the black community, uh, you know, let me, let me ask you, Tell, tell everyone here, what should they do? How do they engage? Where should they start engaging the, the black leadership, Islamic leadership of America, specifically in this case? And please don't be shy. We're looking for guidance in this regard. Okay, so let me say this. There, there is no uh, uniformity amongst Muslims who are black on how to approach what's going on right now. Yeah. But what I would say is that uh, attach yourselves to those African-Americans, Black people, uh, men and women, who are not only engaged with the issues on the ground and, and, and are connected to the Black community in general, but also have Senad, who've also studied this dean, who also have uh, a, 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 um, a foundation right, in our usul, right? So just knowing about the political matters and what's going on, that's simply not enough, right? Um, and if I, if I can paint a picture for you. Take your time. Uh, knowledge, or let me not say knowledge. Truth is unified, but there are different ranks or different darajat, right? So let's say if we're talking about a tree, a tree has root, roots, so we can say uh, usul. And then a tree also has furu, which has branches. And the branches are very important, but the branches are more dependent on the roots than the roots are dependent on the branches, right? So uh, 
having knowledge about things such as political issues or having studied critical theory or critical race theory that as a tool of analysis, that's all fine and well. But what's more important than that for the starting point is having a sound usul and sound epistemology, right? right? So Sidi Ahmed Zarouk, Qaddislahu Ruha, and may Allah sanctify the soul of Sidi Ahmed Zarouk, and may Allah... Uh, uh, defend him from those who, who sought to malign him. Uh, Sidi Ahmed Zorouk said famously in, in his uh, text, Qawaid uh, At-Tasawwuf, he says in one of his maxims that it is impermissible for anyone to proceed in a matter until they learn or know the ruling of Allah pertaining to it. Mm. Again, Sidi Ahmed Zorouk said, it is impermissible for anyone to proceed in a matter until they know the ruling of Allah pertaining to it, right? So this is the start. And when we're talking about reaching out to certain uh, black uh, American leaders uh, who are Muslim, um, it's, it's just beyond those who caught kept up with the with the with the uh, the issues of of race politics right so I'm just going to simply point out some people and call out some names of some individuals so I think that you should be connected to because there's various people there's in the Atlanta area there's Imam uh, Suleiman Hamid in Atlanta who is the resident Imam of the um, of the uh, Atlanta Masjid of El Islam he he's a graduate of of, of Jami of Jamia Abinur in, in Damascus Right, there's Sheikh Amin Mohammed in Atlantic City, right? Uh, we have Sheikh Mohammed Mendez. We have Ustada Aisha Prime, right? We have Ustada Zainab Ansari in Knoxville, Tennessee at Taysir Seminary, right? We have, um, uh, we have uh, Imam Jah- uh, Jihad Safir in, with, with Islah LA, right? So th- there's uh, a number of different people. Uh, Ustad uh, Shahida Sharif that's down in Atlanta as well. There's a number of people that you can reach out to uh, nationally, but even you can find in your locality, who both have studied this tradition and have connection back to our tradition through chains of transmission, but also have their pulse on what's going on in Black America and, 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 and know the sentiments of what people are feeling on the ground. Both of those are very important because we don't want um, connection to the tradition and also have aloofness to what's going on to black people in the streets. And at the same time, just knowing about the political issues and all of the, the, the activist language about uh, intersectionality and all these things without having the, 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 uh, the usul and the connections, then that's also uh, highly problematic, maybe even more problematic than, than, than the other thing that I mentioned. But you know, Imam, I have to ask you a question. I mean, from your take on it in the United States of America, particularly, there was a point in which it was, you know, people turning to scholarship. And, and then all of a sudden it became the shift and everyone's turning to activists who, you know, have no scholarship. They're not founded, many of them, in these Islamic principles that we're talking about. Happen to be Muslim, of course. What happened there? And, and why do you think that that shift started happening? Well, you know, 
I think that just from my take, a lot knows best, but I think part of the problem was is that one, there weren't solid connections established between scholars in Duat with activists and also a means of having a type of program set up to actually train activists in the Islamic sciences and, 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 and having uh, a murabiyin or having spiritual guys and people to help with tarbiya, along with them learning different organizing uh, strategies, whether it's Salalinsky or whatever type of organizing strategies. I think that's a problem. But I think also, too, that uh, just being frank, that uh, a number of people who are uh, scholars in the United States of America um, and, I, and again, I, I believe all of these things are, are, were innocent mistakes, but we need to learn from our, from our mistakes, right? Did not give guidance and did not speak on many of the socio-political issues that were going on here in America. And therefore, many of the young people and the activists saw that the scholars were not relevant. They weren't speaking to many of the things on the ground and, 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 and giving guidance, so therefore there was a void. So who they saw speaking to it were the activist community and many of them uh, obviously who are not Muslims. And even the Muslims who are speaking to it uh, don't have uh, traditional grounding in, 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 with Essanid and going back to you know, a chain of transmission and things such as this. So. Um, I, I think there's a problem, but alhamdulillah, the beautiful thing about it is, is that um, we live in a time and an opportunity where we have the capacity to address these things, such as like what uh, El Medina Institute and others are, are doing, seekers up in, in Canada. We have platforms and we have uh, means in which we can ground people in, in, in the tradition and also uh, be able to address the real grievances and the real pain that our people see the people in America suffering, be they Muslim or be they not Muslim. Yeah, and, and so, you know, so we, we have you here. I'm going to just, you know, bring you right to the point of, you know, Black Lives Matter. We see it you know, big bold letters painted on the uh, streets of uh, different cities. We see the t-shirts out there. Uh, a lot of Muslims say, you know what, if this is where I can help the black community, let me support the Black Lives Matter movement. Can you please, uh, you know, shed some light on that and your thoughts and your ideas? Sure. Uh, so I want to, and I wrote something you can look at uh, about this uh, for the audience on Iman Wire, because I wrote an article about this about should Muslims support, support Black Lives Matter. So I will try to sum that up uh, briefly. So I make, the, I make three distinctions when it's the Black Lives Matter. First, there is Black Lives Matter, the hashtag, how it started. The second is the actual protests are on the street that many people assume uh, correctly or incorrectly as Black Lives Matter protest. Then the third issue is the actual movement or the organization and how that got started. So number one, Black Lives Matter as a hashtag started not because of the police killing uh, an unarmed black person. It actually was, it was actually when an honor roll student teenager running a Trayvon Martin 
was killed by George Zimmerman, a neighborhood anti-black vigilante. When Trayvon Martin went to go to the store uh, at halftime between a game to get an Arizona iced tea and some Skittles, he was killed. And Black Lives Matter as a hashtag was started to try to amplify that case. And basically as a statement that's saying black lives should matter because in reality in, in America's social political history, black lives have never mattered as much as white lives. And that's real. All right, so that's where the hashtag started. This is the first thing. The second thing is, in about two years after this time period, another African-American teenager who was unarmed was killed by the Ferguson police. His name was Mike Brown. And people went out on the streets and started protesting. And this Black Lives Matter hashtag became a mantra or a slogan for that protest. And then it picked up steam after that. And there was a number of other killings. Sandra Blonde was a black woman who was killed, uh, found uh, dead in a jail cell and um, who was pulled uh, unjustly. And Eric Gardner, who was choked to death and said, I can't breathe. Um, and there's been so many. And this, people started going in the streets and Black Lives Matter became a mantra. Now, Black folks have been protesting about this issue long before there was a Black Lives Matter movement. I've protested in these things long before Trayvon Martin. Uh, Imam Siraj Wahaj uh, had led protests in the street and after our brother Ahmadou Jallo, Rahmatullah Ali, was, was murdered by the New York Police Department in 1999. Malcolm X led a protest, Rahmatullah Ali, Malcolm X led a protest against the NYPD in 1957. The, these things have always gone on these protests. Why most black people go into the streets to protest these atrocities is, is not because of a slogan or an organization. It's because of collective black pain that we've suffered in this land for about 400 years and trying to get our voices heard, right? That's what it's not about. It's it, it not about one organization. It's about not about Black Lives Matter or National Action Network beforehand with Al Sharpton or NAACP or any, any of these things, even if that might be the organization whose name is a sponsor or a co-sponsor, okay? So let's, let's get that, let's, we need to get that uh, totally straight. And many people who get involved in these protests don't, know anything about the organization Black Lives Matter or, or how it got started and really don't care because it's about black suffering and the particular offenses that have taken place like Breonna Taylor, for instance, uh, who was sh uh, shot in her apartment unjustly, right? And which those officers still haven't been charged by the way. Now, the third thing is the organization um, in the movement Black Lives Matter, that organization uh, its primary funding and seed money did not come from the African-American community. It came from some uh, far left foundations. And some of the remedies that they are calling for uh, are good. And I endorse some of the remedies and some of the things they've been asking for. I would say number one, but I would also say perhaps some of the means that they've used in some of their protests, I wouldn't necessarily agree with, even though these latest protests that have taken place and the, uh, the, the, uh, the arson attacks and things like this, um, 
like in Minneapolis, like black people didn't even do that. These were actually white Americans who came in spray painting BLM and doing the arson attack like at the Minneapolis Police Department precinct. But some of the other issues is that Black Lives Matter, the organization that some of their agenda items are problematic. And this is why I uh, don't encourage Muslims to donate to that organization, right? And they're getting enough money anyway. They've gotten $133 million in foundation money from George Soros Open Society Foundation and others. They've gotten all these millions of dollars pledged to them by corporations recently. And when I see mainstream uh, politicians and, and, and corporations who care about money uh, saying Black Lives Matter, that also brings a big question mark in my mind as well. I don't think these people care about Black people. And, and that includes the left who've practiced benign neglect against the, the Black community and, and misuse uh, Black people. But a couple of things I just want to highlight, and you can see this on their website. Uh, the first is, they say that they want to destroy heteronormativity. What is heteronormativity? That means, what does that mean by destroying it? It means to, to normalize, not only in public culturally, but through public policy and law, the LGBTQ agenda, right? That's number one. The second thing is, is that also relates to this, is the breaking up or destruction of what they call the, the traditional nuclear family, right? Now, those things are, are, are problematic. And uh, the grassroots of the Black community who are going out and protesting and what we're calling for relating to anti-Black racism and police brutality, the breaking up of the nuclear family and promoting LGBTQ has nothing to do with that. When black people get beat up and killed by the police, they're not, they, didn't, they, they don't say, oh, uh, George Floyd, are you straight or gay? Or are you bisexual? Or are you pansexual? Uh, Breonna Taylor, are you pansexual? Or are you gender fluid? That, that has nothing to do with the issue. So it's a type of opportunism and derailment for an outside agenda that funds this, right? It, this, this, this is not the bread and butter issues. And this is just a classic derailment of the real issue of, of anti-blackness uh, in America by weaving in these other issues. Uh, similarly to what took place during the, um, uh, the, uh, the uh, women's lib movement led by, led by Gloria Steinem that tried to derail and use the civil rights advances of African-Americans for her agenda. And by the way, she was an undercover CIA operative the entire time and during the COINTELPRO era. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, people like to take black issues, piggyback on top of them, and then shift the, the, the concerns. So before it was the white woman's feminist movement, now it's the LGBTQ movement that tries to latch on to black suffering to advance their agendas. And this is why I, I am not in favor uh, of, 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 of donating to the Black Lives Matter organization. And just in conclusion, I spent a, a, too long on this, 
There's a difference between supporting black life and supporting Black Lives Matter movement. They are not the same thing, so we can't conflate it. You can support black people and be against black suffering and not agree with the entire agenda of Black Lives Matter. And that doesn't mean that you're anti-black or that doesn't mean that um, you know, you're not uh, woke enough or whatever term you want to use. They, they simply are not the same. And I'm telling you this, I'm saying this as a black man who's been involved in this type of, of, of work and doing this thing for, for, for over 20 years. Imam Dawood, are there any organizations that you would say, yes, this is a good place to put your money. This is a place I do suggest that you help out and, and contact. Where are these places and what are they? Yeah, so there are different organizations in different cities and they're grassroots. So for instance, one prime example is Inner City Muslim Action Network, Iman. The first office was based in Chicago and then Chicago, they Chicago, Chicago, and then they in Atlanta. In Atlanta. So, so they, they are involved in police accountability work and also in helping returning citizens or people who are coming out of the, the criminal justice system and helping them get reacclimated. They do direct services. So Dr. Rami Nashashibi heads up the Chicago office. Imam Mansour Sabri heads up the Atlanta uh, um, office. Then you also have Islah LA, which is led by Imam Jihad Safia that does work right in South Central LA. I'm not sure if you know, if many of you know about South Central LA, but he's doing direct services and organizing literally in an area that is controlled by uh, a street gang called the Crips, right? He's right there doing, doing services. And, and mashallah, he doesn't, they don't discriminate. I mean, they'll give dawah to gang members. They, they don't care, right? I mean, if you look at Beni Gafar in the time of Asu Jahiliya, they were like a gang. There was a whole tribe of bandits. They used to go around and rob people. Abu Dhar, he was the, the first of that tribe to accept Islam, but um, Beni Gafar were gangsters, right? So, but, but they became good Muslims, right? So we have to give da'wah to the gangsters. We have to give da'wah to the 21st century Beni Gafar. Right. So I'm saying that there's a number of different organizations. We have Dream of Detroit that is in that is in um, in the city of Detroit, uh, led by our uh, brother, uh, Mark Crane, a Muslim brother. And they're doing community development work. Right. There's the Mahroof Center in in uh, in in, Sh in uh, Milwaukee and, and uh, locating the poorest zip code in, in the state of Wisconsin. Right. So there's different there's different things that are going on in different cities. Um, but. The best, the best way you can get involved is to reach out to the uh, traditional Muslim community in your locality who are African-American and, and go to the leadership and ask them how you can help and how you can get involved in your locality. But there's all sorts of khair uh, going on in cities all across America. It doesn't have to be led by a, a, a national uh, organization and no matter where the the Muslims are at, there's khair, Alhamdulillah. No matter where the Muslims, there's khair. That, that's absolutely true. And, and we're going to open it up to questions. I mean, if you, anyone has questions in the question box right down there, please type in your questions. I'm going to filter them through and, and pose them to Imam Dawood. Uh, for those that joined a bit late, uh, Imam Dawood wrote a wonderful book called Towards Sacred Activism that's available on Mecca Books, published by Al Medina Institute. It's really a must read. 
Uh, it's a fantastic book uh, by Allah's Rahmah. I found it to be so balanced. And it goes back to what the concept of sacred is. Why do we have to have sacred activism? Uh, Imam Dawood, you know, you keep bringing things back. I mean, ultimately, it's about our own salvation with Allah. And so if I'm going to do anything that is going to put that in jeopardy, why play Russian roulette with my akhirah? And so we have to learn the sacred so that everything that we do in life becomes sacred. And it's not just activism for the sake of activism. It's activism for the sake of Allah and his messenger, in a way that they would love. Because Imam Dawood, the greatest of all activists was who? Habibullah alayhi wa alayhi wa I don't think you can have anyone who took it to the streets more than him, but he did so in such a divinely beautiful way. Imam, a question for you, and this is moving away from the activism more on the racism. I mean, what do you say to those that say that the African-American community has not been systemically um, shown racism against them that, oh, if they just were able to pull themselves up from their bootstraps, they would make it into society? Well, I'd say that the best correction of that would, would be to actually uh, get a more thorough understanding of American history. Because this was codified in American law, right? Prior to there being in America, to after the Declaration of Independence, through, through after the Emancipation Proclamation, about a hundred years of overt anti-Black laws known as Jim Crow laws, which is a soft Jim Crow going on in the North as well, to then a, a number of systems that have been put in place that have continued to run in overdrive. So when someone says, pull themselves up by the bootstraps, well, if, if, you were, if you were never able to get boots or buy boots, I don't know how you could pull yourself up by the bootstraps. But even in opportunities where black people strove hard to establish communities and establish doing for self, they were systemically and repeatedly or systematically undermined and destroyed in America by the white power structure. And there are several examples I could give without giving like an in-depth uh, history. But one thing I can say is as it relates to the Tulsa massacre, and this took place on a day called Juneteenth, right? So uh, in, in that vicinity, that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, African-Americans had established a vibrant business district in which housing was around, it was known as Black Wall Street. Mm. And there ended up being a massacre of white Americans who were jealous, who, who believed that black people were living better than white people. When they came through, killed and injured hundreds of people and burned down every single business that was there in the, in the African-American community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to this day, never fully recovered from that. And they got no public assistance. They didn't even get like an apology, right? Much less any assistance to rebuild that. And those massacres took, went on and undermined in various parts of America historically, overtly, 
Rosewood, Florida is another one. There's even a movie been made about it called Rosewood. Um, the, the interstate system that we have in America during Dwight D. Eisenhower, they built highways directly through to destroy the black economic centers in all major cities of America, including in the city of Detroit. There was an area known as the Black Bottom or Paradise Valley. So um, even when we weren't given shoes as black people, there has been attempts for us to try to make our own boots, uh, or obviously shoes. Even if we weren't given boots to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, there have been historically black folks attempted to make our own boots to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and the boots literally got cut off our, our feet along with our feet, right? And this is something that is uh, a, a, a um, this is undeniable when you read history and there are certain things that go on today from redlining to try to disenfranchise African-Americans from, from voting um, to unequal access of healthcare. You, you see that Detroit was one of the major cities of COVID-19 deaths. It's an 80% black city. And um, the, the amount of uh, black people who, who did not get proper healthcare in comparison to white folks. I mean, I could go on and on and on again, uh, on and on and on about this issue, but it's not, it's not just accidental coincidental because things that are accidents don't uh, re repetitively repeat themselves, right? These are things by design. They're not just accidents to just repeat here and there. You know, Imam Dawood, I worked in Baltimore City for 15 years, so I saw that design and it was clear as day and you had to have been blind not to see what was designed to ensure that the black community was always suppressed and never made it out of the squalors that they had them in. And that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Dawood, we have some really good questions I need to, I need to pose to you. Uh, one from uh, Ifat, Salaamu Alaikum Ifat, I pray that you're well. Uh, the question here is, Salaamu Alaikum and Jazakumullah Khair for this webinar. Uh, what resources would you recommend for an Islamic school in America attempting to address and introduce the Islamic perspective on racism in the K-12 curriculum? Where do we even begin? How can we support teachers and help them plan useful lessons rooted in the Quran and Sunnah that address the real racism happening in this country. Students are Muslim, but mostly not black, but the issue cannot be overlooked in curriculums any longer. Any books for children as well as teachers or resources that you can recommend are appreciated. And I think this would go along to anyone that's also homeschooling. SubhanAllah, I don't know of one particular curriculum that anyone could point to right now, or one particular book just written for children. Um, I think this is something that had to be designed. And um, just as a little uh, sneak peek to let, you, to let you all know, but I've actually developed an outline, which I uh, am in the process of, of trying to write a book to address this very issue right here. Because unfortunately, I don't see one particular book that we could uh, point uh, people towards to address uh, anti-racism from an Islamic perspective, right? Like there's many books that have written about it, but it's not coming from, from, from our tradition. So um, I, I would say that there are some people throughout the country <clears throat> who could be deferred to. One, I know she's written some 
uh, children's books and one as it relates to the life of, of Sheikh Ahmadu Bamba, but Ustada Ruqayya Yaqub. Ustada Ruqayya is the, uh, the wife of Sheikh Mohammed Mendes and she's an educator. And I would say that um, for any particular questions or suggestions for your Islamic school, I would strongly suggest contacting Ustada Ruqayya. And again, you know, the, the question that we have uh, from Brother Nadim here, it's about the issue of racism. How does the Muslim community address the issue of racism within its ranks? Well, <clears throat> he Azawajal mentioned in the Quran and Surah Hujurat that the Creator made us into different ethnic groups and different clans that we may get to know one another, lead to Arafu. And so how we can develop real human interactions where there are living, breathing sudur that are inter inter interacting with other living and breathing sudur from hearts to hearts between uh, people. And uh, if I can quote Dr. Sherman Abdul Hakim Jackson, he said that heart work is the hard work. Hard work is the hard work. So it, it, it takes sacrifice. It's not just something about simply having lectures and reading books, but people have to go outside of their comfort zones and sacrifice some time and go to, um, to meet with people where they're at, to break bread with them, to be willing to visit their homes and be willing to invite people to their homes and to begin to establish like what the Sahaba did uh, between Muhajirin and Ansar to start twinning off or pairing youth from one community with youth from another community. And then there has to be an investment of time and be willing to drive youth from here to there so they can play basketball, so they can attend halakat together and qiyamulayl in the city, inner city, and then in the suburbs another month. There has, this has to be by design. And I say this, why? Because in this society that we live in in America, I know COVID-19 has slowed us down a bit, but in the rat race of us, some of us traveling at least an hour, one way to work for, for commuting, and then another hour back. And then we work these long hours, right? That, uh, and then we try to go to the masjid when we can, right? So our time is so stretched that it's easy for us to stay in siloed in our zip codes once we're off of work. And, 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 and of course we need rest and we're tired, but if we're gonna deal with this issue for real, it's gonna, it's gonna mean that we need to arf, right? And we have to come together and get to, to know one another in real organic um, uh, interactions. It's, it's not just simply about writing books. Now, on the individual level, Tezkia is so important because when we're talking about racism, right, we're talking about Can you, just define, can you just define what Tezkia is for okay, those Okay, Tezkia uh, to nefs, we're talking about spiritual purification, right, and dealing with the diseases of the heart. So the first disease of the heart that informs racism is arrogance. And we know this in the Quran when Iblis said, Qala ana minhu, min nar, 
So Iblis said about Adam, he told Allah, I'm better than him because you made me a fire but made him of clay, right? So this is takabur, this is arrogance. So tawadu or humility is the opposite of that. So then what spiritual remedies can we take from our spiritual doctors like Abdul Qadr al-Jilani and Abu Hamid al-Ghazali and these great people that we can learn from our teachers about how that we can have true humility because uh, arrogance is one of the foundational uh, issues of racism. Also, al-hasid, envy, is also, this is also an attribute of Iblis who was envious at Adam, and I mentioned with the uh, Tulsa massacre, it was white people actually who got envious at black people and figured out and said, their hasid says, you know, we don't have it, not only am I jealous of them having it, I want to take it away from them. That's really what hasid is. It's not just simply uh, you wanting what someone else wants. Is that you want what they want and you want them to lose it. That's hasid, right? This undermines racism. Then we also have the issue of jahil, right? Ignorance. Uh, Sayyidina Ali Nabi Talib, he said, That people are adversaries of what they're ignorant of. So there's jahl basit and there's jahl murakab. There's two different types of jahl, right? There is the first, the jahl that is kind of like innocent because you don't know better. Then there's compounded ignorance. There's ignorance where you just think that you know something and you double down on it, right? So we have to learn. These are the three primary um, issues that we have to deal with uh, spiritually or metaphysically speaking on an individual level at least of checking our own hearts and make sure that we're not being racist, right? So if I can repeat those, there are, they are at-takabr, wal-hasid, wal-jahl, right? So those are three things that we have to deal with, right? It is the, 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 the prideful uh, arrogance, it is the uh, envy, and it is just the, 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 the sheer ignorance, right? So these are the things that we have to deal with uh, on a spiritual level uh, uh, individually. We're coming up to the to hour one by so fast. We're coming up to the close of, of our session. But before we do that, Imam Dawood, I want to ask you, is there anything that you want to add, anything that you would like to say to the audience before we close? Uh, well, in related towards sacred activism, and I mentioned this about spiritual self-care, it is so important for all of us, but especially of those who have any connection to activism, to take on a spiritual mentor or a murabi. This is, number one, to help us break our nefs, our ego. And two, so that we can get counsel on our spiritual way, wayfaring. And as I mentioned in the book, as it was the Soto Kaf, Nabi Musa, salam, had a spiritual guide. So... Since a messenger of God has a spiritual guide, then it is almost insane to think that we wouldn't need one. Like, if a prophet of Allah had to have a, a murabi or have a murshid, then we're not getting wahi from Allah, you know, we're not ma'asum. So, it, so we definitely have to have spiritual guides if we're going to tra traverse on this path. And to put this into context, Nabi Musa came in contact with his murabi 
before he spoke truth to Fir'aun. This is a very important point, right? Mm -hmm. So there has to be some tarbiyah and there has to be some spiritual mentorship. You can't go to speak to Fir'aun by bypassing Al-Khadr, and I'm speaking this in like Ishari terms or metaphorical terms uh, when I'm using uh, these, or, uh, these terms, by the way. So let's all try to find ourselves someone like Al-Khadr uh, first before we think that we're going to confront Fir'aun. That's my advice. Oh, it's a beautiful advice. It's advice that we're all in need of. And we ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the ability to actually put it into practice. Amen. Imam Dawood Walid, as I mentioned, he's the executive director of CARE Michigan. Uh, he wrote a beautiful book. Everyone should buy it. You should buy it now. Uh, actually, some of the questions that were asked here, I, I purposely didn't put them to you, Imam Dawood, because you answer them so beautifully in the book. And everyone has to read the whole book to get the whole pic picture. It's called Towards Sacred, Sacred Activism published by El Medina Institute, and it's available uh, with Mecca Books. Uh, the admin staff will actually write the link here, and we'll send the link to everyone that signed up uh, where you can purchase the book, meccabooks.com, Towards Sacred Activism, by the author, Imam Dawood Walid, published by El Medina Institute. Uh, everyone that joined, I want to thank you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so gently and so beautifully remove these diseases from our heart. May Allah Amen. subhanahu wa ta'ala make everything about us sacred. May Allah Amen. subhanahu wa ta'ala make everything about our children sacred. May Allah Amen. subhanahu wa ta'ala make everything about our families sacred. May Allah Amen. subhanahu wa ta'ala wrap us in the beautiful, divine realities of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Ya Allah, do not allow us to make any decision except that it's a decision pleasing to you and pleasing to your messenger Muhammad sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa alayhi. Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, that you join Sayyidina Musa with Khidr. You joined him with a teacher, Ya Allah, who guided our Prophet Musa, alayhi salam, in these spiritual realities. We ask you, Ya Allah, to give us all spiritual mentors, Ya Allah. Amen. Guide us to men or guide us to spiritual women, Ya Allah, that will help us recognize our faults, will Amen. help us recognize the deficiencies that we have. And Ya Allah, we ask you that you so beautifully and gently remove those deficiencies from us. Purify us, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Allah, if anyone in this gathering gets involved in activism, Ya Allah, protect them from themselves, Ya Allah. Make their activism the activism of our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Ta'ala Alaihi Wa Alaihi. Beautify their activism the way that you beautified our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Ta'ala Alaihi Wa Alaihi. And give their children this share, Ya Rabbil Alameen, and their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, Ya Rabbil Alameen, we ask you this, Ya Allah, by Surah Al-Fatiha. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Maliki yawm al-Din. Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. Ihdina sirat al-Mustaqim. Sirat al-Ladhina an'amta alayhim. Qayrin maldubi alayhim. Waradhalin. Ameen, ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Imam Dawood, I miss you, and I love you, and I wish we were together here in Istanbul physically, not just virtually. I love you as well, and please give my salam to Sheikh Mukhtar and to all of the brothers and sisters over there, to, to Sidi Mustafa, all the brothers and sisters over there, Sheikh Riyadh, all of them. Please give them my salam, and I, I hope that Allah facilitates for us uh, a gathering in person uh, in the dunya uh, sooner rather than later in Istanbul or somewhere else uh, with, with his permission through his wisdom. With the Prophet in Medina, sallallahu alayhi wa Thank you all for being with us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.